Hi, this is Father Nathan Hale from Desert Mission Anglican Church in the Sunny Slope neighborhood of Phoenix, Arizona. Thanks so much for joining us for the podcast today. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. You can find out more about our church, participate in worship, and sign up to attend in-person services at desertmissionanglican.org. That's desertmissionanglican.org. No matter what, never forget that God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's from 1 John 4, 9 through 10. And now here's the podcast. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, sanctify us this morning in your truth. Your word is truth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Where does the gospel begin? The gospel, uh, of course, refers to the uh, genre of literature, right? The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, we talk about that. Uh, ultimately, though, uh, that's because we call them Gospels because they contain good news. They contain a message. They contain a proclamation of lordship. That's basically what Gospel is. Like, people used to talk back in, in, the, in the ancient times about the Gospel of Caesar, believe it or not, right? And the idea is that that meant, hey, Caesar come to town, he'd taken over. Right? So we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about this message that Jesus is Lord. But where does that gospel begin? Where is that good news that a good ruler has come to town begin? And we see today in St. Mark that the gospel, the good news, isn't simply, listen, isn't simply the proclamation of just an idea or a fact or a doctrinal truth. Sometimes we fall into that trap of, of uh, distilling, if you will, the gospel to uh, a simple doctrinal truth only. But really, we see here that we can't do that. Mark begins his whole book, right? They say, this is the beginning of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Man, what an awesome beginning, right? Uh, You just kind of imagine... for, for his readers, it would have been like, you know, Star Wars, where, you know, the music starts up, and it says a lot, you know, uh, uh, a long time ago, a f- far, far away, a ga- a lo- what, is, what is it, Scott, in a galaxy, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, right? I knew Scott would come through with me for that, yeah. <laughs> and it, it kind of sets it up with this epic uh, 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 introduction, because, and then the idea is, then we're, we're strapping in for a ride, right? Like there is a lot to come. And so what Mark is doing is he's beginning this proclamation of the gospel with a bold, joyful telling of a story. A story in which God himself is both the author and main character. Now, you and I have a part to play in the story, okay? We're not just side characters here, but... But, much to our own chagrin, most of the time, we're not the hero of the story. The hero of the gospel story is, of course, Christ, rescuing 
the love of his life, his people, all of creation, from the powers of evil and darkness. So the true story of the gospel, I think, actually begins at the beginning of all things. At creation itself. I think this is something Mark is echoing when he says the beginning. See, the gospel has always been present always been present in God's revelation of himself. And it's always been becoming more clear. So there's this big story of God's redemption of the world in the Bible. And it's made up of all of these many rescue stories, each repeating the same basic events with rhythmic intensity, each time bringing this big story into sharper Focus to reveal to us with growing certainty the character of God, who He is, what He is like, and the destiny of humanity, which even though humans are a side character here, God is the main character. We get bound up in His actions and His affections. And so we are drawn into the heart of this story. Here's what I mean. At the creation of the world, you'll, you'll read this in Genesis 1. The Spirit hovered over the waters and brought order from chaos. And the first people, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. And in so doing, they introduced death into the world. And so what does God do but rescue them? He clothes them with the skins of animals. They were naked. They were going to die. Once sin entered into the world, the elements began to decay and become dangerous, and they were going to die immediately. But God clothed them with the skins of animals, showing them that now death was part of life. But he had not abandoned them. He had not left them. He was rescuing them. And although he had actually been rejected, God continued to care for his human family. And he promised then the total defeat of their ultimate enemy one day. And then the story of rescue begins again. The people of God find themselves slaves in the land of Egypt. And yet with many signs and wonders, God himself leads them out of slavery into freedom. And even dwells with them in the form of fire and a cloud of glory. Can you imagine God rescuing and dwelling with his people. And yet, even after that, even after being given this land flowing with milk and honey and good, good promises, the people of God say, we want another king. We want a different king. Not you. And so they fall away. And they fall into the clutches of idols, of superstition, of the pursuit of power and pleasure and so they can't hold together. They're scattered into exile across the Babylonian Empire. And then this story begins again. The prophets call the people to repentance and slowly they return home, rescued by the grace of God. And yet, the people continue to struggle to remain faithful in the midst of major oppression of foreign empires. 
And so prophets like Isaiah and Malachi and others speak on behalf of God to this people about a time when not just the Israelites, but all of humanity will be shepherded back to perfect relationship with the creator of all. Hundreds of years after that, the story begins again. This time, with renewed urgency and clarity. And it emerges from these true stories that came before it of God's rescue and redemption. This story, which is the story of Jesus Christ, which is what Mark is out to tell us, sheds the light of God's good news about the renewal of all things, which has always been there, but now it's shedding it into this murky darkness of humanity's failed attempts to find life and meaning in ourselves. Mark is shining this good news like a laser by telling us about Jesus Christ. And just like the ancient prophet said, okay, I got ahead of myself talking about John the Baptist. It's exciting. A messenger appears, right? One of their own. And, and, and John has known from when he was in the womb that Jesus was somebody special. You've got to read that story later in Luke when you get a chance. So in the spirit of the prophet Elijah, who's one of the greatest Old Testament prophets, and echoing the clothing of Adam and Eve, John clothes himself in animal skins. He eats only what he can gather in the desert. Sounds gross to us today, but locusts were on the clean list, so guess it was all good for him. But he does this as a sign of radical dependence on the provision of God. This is what he's communicating to the people. He prepares the people around him to receive rescue and this is interesting, not just from foreign empires, but their sins. And so he urges all that will listen to repent, and that means to turn away from sin and make their intentions known through the ritual of washing in water, baptism. So we call John, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, because this is what he was doing. But John knows that's simply acknowledging these things. I mean, that's, it's good to know. It's good to acknowledge that sins keep us from God. It's good to know that those things that we think and do that lead us away from life can only lead to death. It's good to acknowledge that, but just acknowledging it is not enough to repair it. It's not enough to undo the damage that's already been done. John knows this. He knows that simply acknowledging the reality of human rebellion against life and love, which has happened over and over and over and over again throughout our history, it's just not enough to take away the sin. Good to know, but he can't fix the problem. So what John does is he witnesses to prophesies and predicts, just like the prophets that came before him, another story of rescue. But this time, it's with the sense that this is what the prophets had been talking about all along. And it was right around the corner. And it's going to be the definitive rescue. By a special anointed one. 
Not just one of many saviors, but a true forever savior, a Messiah. And so John proclaims boldly, after me, he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, I'm showing you something, but this guy is going to do something. I appreciate the applause, baby boy. <laughs> that's right, that's worth clapping about. We can show something. Jesus can do something. The story continues. The gospel that began in creation, that was demonstrated in the Exodus, as it was witnessed to by the prophets, is lived in the flesh by Jesus Christ. God the Holy Spirit hovers over Blessed Mary the way he hovered over the waters of creation so that God the Son becomes incarnate in the world in her baby, Jesus. And just like the first Adam, Jesus knows that the only way to the fullness of life is now through death. But unlike Adam, he's also God in the flesh. And so he also knows that he can withstand it. And so he leads the way. Just like a new Moses leading the people of God through the barrenness of the desert, Jesus leads through the barrenness of complete and total death to self. He gives himself willingly to those who would crucify him unjustly. And although he's falsely accused and and deliberately misunderstood, he goes without resistance to a cross so that he can forgive even this greatest of all sins, the crucifixion of God. And in doing this, his divine love, instead of being snuffed out, is unleashed on the world. So that death begins to disintegrate. And Jesus is raised back to life in the power of the Spirit. And now, as we are united to him, and get this, it's so, it's so simple, it's almost too good to be true. That we are united to Jesus now simply by trusting his love and following him in the giving of ourselves to others. And we find than his love doing in us what water cannot do on its own, baptizing us on the inside, right? purifying us on the inside, giving our souls life so that though we die, we too will be raised one day in the Spirit. That's good news. And this work has been definitively accomplished. And now Jesus is even now ruling at the right hand of God. And so that cycle of sin and coming back and messing up and falling away and doing it over and over and over and over again has been broken. Rescue has been accomplished. The ancient rescue stories of God's people have been completed in the ultimate redemption that was won on that cross. 
Nevertheless, it is true that we still wait for the total restoration of our bodies, our communities, the heavens, and the earth. We do wait to be completely freed from the dying vestiges of sin's corrupting power. But truly, it's lost its power. Sin is dying. Death has been defeated. So we wait to be freed from cancer and from COVID and from oppression of the poor and from the suppression of the truth. And we wait to be rid of violence and addiction and loneliness and all hatred. But the story's not over yet. See, even though we're still in every story, there's always this tension right before the end, right? We're in that part right now. And even though we're still in that, in that tension point of the story, waiting for the very end, in a seemingly perpetual advent, if you will, right now, we can have peace. We can have real peace because we know the end of the story has always been there, it's, and it's always been the same. It's always rescue. The dead will be raised, and all will be well. Because Jesus conquered death and darkness. All that will be left. And this is tough, because I know we're waiting, we're just, we feel like we're just waiting sometimes. But as we wait faithfully, we know that all that work has been done, accomplished and all that's going to be left when we're done waiting is light and life and love for those who are in Jesus. So the beautiful thing we can remember this Advent is that true and lasting peace of forever rest in the loving rescue of God is simply inevitable as we trust in God has always been there to redeem his people. So may we now, as the Church of Christ, prepare ourselves and the world by being faithful heralds, messengers, prophets even, as we proclaim this same ancient story and the unshakable hope of its very good ending. Brothers and sisters, let us, like John the Baptizer, point beyond ourselves. Let us cry out with joy and urgency the story of God come to us in Jesus. The story of God come to us now in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us and among us. The story of God come to us and I hope you believe this today. The story of God come to us in the preaching of the word, in the sacraments, in the fellowship of the saints. In the story of Christ coming again to finally renew all things. We have good news to share. We have a gospel story to tell. And we have real life 
live in this gospel story here and now. 